This holiday season, AT&T is giving away $25,000 just for telling them what great LG products you want this year. Stop by a participating AT&T store and snap a selfie holding up the LG products you want to get, like the LG V20 with 5.7-inch HD display and direct TV app to watch live TV. Then share your selfie on Twitter or Instagram with hashtag Here's What I Want Sweeps or upload it to Here's What I Want Sweeps.com for a chance to win $25,000. No purchase necessary. Click the banner for rules and a list of participants stores. Who will win the NBA Finals? Can Kyrie replicate his Game 5 shooting? Will Draymond keep his cool in Game 6? The only question left is, say it with me, you win? Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. I am pleased to bring on an old friend, Ben Golliver, an NBA writer for Sports Illustrated who's been following the finals. And I thought we'd get some um, man-on-the-street feel from right what's going on at Ground Zero. So Ben, uh, talk to me. What's happening with the finals right now? Coach Nick, it's been too long, man. Good to chat. Absolutely. Uh, um, well, the finals, they are kind of longer than we kind of thought. I mean, after the first two games, everybody was thinking, well, is it going to be four or five? Uh, I, I think even after Golden State took game four, there was a sense of uh, almost inevitability that they would close it out in five. And then Draymond gets suspended and the whole thing goes up in the air. And now we're here in Cleveland for game six. And I think the main questions are, how does Golden State react to having Draymond back out there? How do they react to not having Bogut in the starting lineup? And then can Cleveland kind of summon some help for LeBron and Kyrie uh, like they did in Game 3 and, and push this to a Game 7? So I think that's kind of – those are the main things I'm looking at here uh, before Game 6. You know, I, I've been looking at the footage, and we watched Kyrie go off in Game 5, and uh, it was a little bit startling how poor the Warriors played defensively. And I'm kind of curious what you think. And I'm even talking about, like, being organized and knowing who they're guarding as they're coming back down on defense – do you think that, that that Draymond sort of takes care of a lot of that when he's in there? Oh, 100%. How many times did you see their guards like look backwards over their shoulders expecting help behind them that just wasn't there? I mean, it was almost like they felt like uh, their security blanket uh, was no longer there for them. So I thought, number one, the communication aspect was big. And both the players and Steve Kerr talked about you know the lack of communication uh, with Draymond's absence. Uh, I also just think his paint protection, his ability to defend the rim without fouling, uh, you know, LeBron got to the free throw line more than he had previously in the series. I thought that was a big issue. And then just also not having him. So when they went super small, like with Harrison Barnes as a center, uh, Kyrie just kind of felt like he'd go anywhere on the court, and rightfully so. And I think that really helped his confidence, especially late. Um, and also, I think it kind of helped LeBron's confidence a little bit earlier in the game, too, just not having Draymond able to kind of uh, get his shot going like maybe it wasn't earlier in the series. So. I thought they missed Draymond for all those sort of X's and O's reasons. I also thought they missed him in the aftermath of the Andrew Bogut injury. I mean, it didn't kind of, kind of seem like somebody needed to rally the troops after Bogut goes down with that scary knee injury. Uh, and it didn't seem like Steph did it. It didn't seem like Clay did it. They all just kind of looked around at each other, and in the fourth quarter, the offense fell apart. And it kind of seemed, some of it to me, was like a confidence issue. Uh, and to me, I think Draymond would have made a difference in that situation. And he actually said at practice today, he said he had a very strong feeling that if he had played in Game 5, they would have won. Okay, so they got him on record. It's always good to hear when guys drop the gauntlet. Uh, I mean, you know, even without uh, Draymond in there, 
of the 17 field goals that Kyrie made, you know, I would say seven or eight of them had no bearing on whether or not Draymond was in there. He was just step back, spin, 20-footer guy in his face. I mean, uh, I, I, I don't think anyone's going to argue that that is sustainable, right? Well, I think there's... The, the math would say he's coming back to earth a little bit, that he's not going to hit 17 for 24 on high-difficulty shots. Uh, so, I, yeah, I think they're going to do a better job on him, and I also think they're going to do a better job on LeBron. Look, LeBron's always going to get his numbers. Uh, that's just how he is. I mean, he's a force of nature, uh, but it's how he does it, right? And I thought the efficiency was there more in Game 5 than it had been earlier in the series. And, frankly, he could have gone for 50 if he didn't defer so much late. Uh, and I just thought he looked so much more comfortable knowing that he really only had to beat that initial defender and then he could get to the rim. I think part of the reason why he's looked so bottled up in this series and also last year's finals, frankly, is that it's not just a matter of you know, beating his guy and getting to the basket. It's beating his guy and then trying to figure out you know, how, do you, how do you elude Draymond? You know, is Draymond in your path? Is he at the rim protecting it? I mean, Draymond just forces you to make a lot of decisions as attacking player. Uh, and they use him so well. You know, he's kind of roving. Sometimes he's kind of you know, cheating over in the paint. Uh, it just seems like he's always there and kind of just uh, almost shadowing uh, or spying on LeBron. So uh, I think that's a situation where uh, LeBron's going to have to make some adjustments here in Game 6 because it's going to be a completely different task. It's not just one-on-one like it was for a lot of Game 5. Uh, it's going to be back to trying to unlock the Warriors' team defense. I, I swear I thought I was at the Drew League uh, for Game 5. The, <laughs> the, uh, you know, the best pickup game I've ever seen televised for so much of that. And uh, I guess it's what happens. Sometimes it gets in the air and everybody sort of plays into that uh, because I was having a hard time in our live post-game show. I wanted to grab some clips to show of you know, offense or some things. And we ended up not picking any because there were so few half-court possessions where either team came down and ran some sort of recognizable set that required two or three passes and some cutting. It was very strange. Um, you know, was it in the air while you were there? For sure. I think a couple things. Number one, we kind of got all the role player uh, contributions out of the way early in this series. And now this series has really kind of become star versus star, hasn't it? I mean, it feels like, you know, Steph in game five, then Kyrie comes back in game six. Uh, Draymond's role with LeBron throughout that. It really seems like the, the, the biggest names are the ones driving all of this. And a lot of these supporting guys really for both teams have kind of fallen by the wayside as this series has un, uh, evolved. But I think the other aspect to it was the trash talk. I think it really did play a role. You know, I think the two days of bad blood where LeBron and Clay are, are trading jabs and you know, Steph Curry's wife's weighing in and Maurice Spates is calling LeBron a baby on Twitter and all of these things kind of adding up to the situation where you have a lot of really talented players who come in just hyper-motivated and they're in a weird situation where for Cleveland, the series is on the, the line and for Golden State, they're playing in this total unknown because they've had Draymond for all except for one game this season. So it was kind of like max desperation, max bad blood. And I think that's what you saw. That really led to uh, a lot of the one-on-one stuff that you're talking about. Uh, it wasn't the most textbook game, but it was kind of a lot of fun, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was fun. It was just sort of like, come on, that kind of stuff. You're <laughs> kidding me. Uh, you know, the, here, the real question is, and we've already talked ad nauseum about uh, the Draymond suspension and yada yada and what Donaghy is saying and this and that. But what I'm kind of curious is how, um, wh- in what, which quarter are we going to see the Cavaliers uh, try and get him thrown out <laughs> or try to get him a flagrant? 
Well, it's interesting because LeBron loves the high road, right? I mean, he that was sort of his key phrase this week. And then he's said that in the past, too, especially when it comes to flagrant fouls. Like, he's all about, you know, just make basketball plays. And, you know, Cleveland has a couple of guys who are, you know, have the potential to be chippy. But I wonder if, if that is going to be their approach or if they're just going to try to keep this about basketball and try to replay game three. I mean, that was their blueprint, right? Like, get guys like J.R. Smith involved uh, and, you know, ride the home crowd early, get a big lead, and, and just coast from there. I almost wonder if that's sort of Cleveland's uh, best approach as opposed to trying to uh, get in Draymond's head or, or further the bad blood. But I do think, number one, Draymond obviously has to be careful about the flagrant fouls because if he gets another one, he's out for Game 7. Steve Kerr actually mentioned that at his press conference today, too. Like, Draymond is very aware of the stakes, so he thought Draymond would be able to kind of keep his emotions in check. But the other issue, too, is just early foul trouble uh, because without Bogut in the middle, you know, Draymond's the rim protector. If Draymond gets two fouls in the first quarter, like let's say he gets two fouls in the first four minutes, something like that, that's going to be a long stretch where Golden State's going to have to go to guys like Azili or they're going to have to try to play super small again. And I'm not sure that's the really the best looks for them against this uh, Cavaliers team. Uh, you don't think that going small is the best look for them? Not super small. You, you want to have Draymond in there as the back line. We just kind of saw how exposed they look, how many... Uh, how how much they struggled to get stops late in Game Six when they went super small and with Bogut out there, you you kind of have to choose if you're Steve Kerr. You're either going to go to one of your backup centers like Festus Azili or Anderson Verjao, uh for the minutes that Draymond's not playing center, or you have to go to that lineup where like basically Barnes is your center. Uh, and I just thought there was too much defensive weakness with that group. Uh, but Kerr has been kind of hesitant to play Azili. He got a lot of questions about Azili today. I think a lot of the media members here in Cleveland are sort of assuming that he's going to play Azili a lot uh, in Game 6 just you know, to kind of help chip in for uh, Bogut's absence. Uh, but to me, the most important defensive player, no question about it, is Draymond Green in Game 6, and he's got to stay on the court. He's got to stay out of foul trouble. Uh, and those are going to be tough tests because, look, Cleveland's been working the officials too, right? I mean, Ty Lue got the fine for standing up for LeBron. LeBron's been trying to play every card in the book to get himself an advantage, and uh, we'll see if that pays off in Game 6. I'm, I'm sorry, do we, do we, is it definitive who's going to start for Bogut? They haven't announced. You know, Kerr never announces his lineups. That's one of his uh, big things. Uh, you know, personally, if it was me, I think that they should just start the quote-unquote death lineup, start Andre Iguodala, start Draymond Green. That was the lineup that really took, you know, took home the title last year uh, in Game 6. Uh, and, you know, one year later, I mean, why not sort of try to repeat history with the same formula? Uh, you know, to me, uh, that's their best five, and that's the five you kind of want to roll with it and go down with if need be. Uh, the other option I think that most people were sort of discussing today was Azili, where you just kind of plug him in for Bogut, uh, get him out of the way, you know, fill up those minutes in the beginning of the first quarter, the beginning of the third quarter, leave Iguodala in his same sort of reserve role, uh, and then just switch to the smaller lineup, you know, down the stretch late. I think those are the sort of the two big options that people were, were talking about at practice today. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because, you know, Bogut really doesn't play. He plays his little five-and-a-half-minute stretch in the first quarter and then the same in the third. Uh, he's been a kind of a foul magnet. Uh, I guess, you know, he basically turned the game for them in game two. So you're kind of hoping that you can get lightning in the bottle again uh, and you're not going to get that now. So I, yeah, I, I'm kind of a big shrug with his absence. 
Uh, and I don't know. I, I have I have thoughts that like maybe Azili will come through and give them enough minutes. And whenever I feel like Verajao is going to kill them, you know, like he's like, oh, Kerr get, left them in an extra two possessions too long. <laughs> uh, then then bam, he like you know he flops into an offensive you know call on the Cavs, and something happens good for the Warriors. And it, you know you, you never know. Maybe we'll get a Verajao game tonight. Verajao is Captain Chaos. I mean, that's the way to put it. Like, you never quite know. I'm always on the edge of my seat, sort of white-knuckling when he's in the game because he's going to be flying one way or the other in positive fashion or negative fashion. Uh, You know, the one thing that Curry did talk about a little bit was the connection between Draymond Green and Festus Azili. And that's not something they've really milked a lot in this series. But, you know, throughout the regular season, those guys have a great high-low lob connection that they can get to, uh, especially if, if Draymond's in the pick-and-roll and he's kind of coming out of that pick-and-roll. Uh, if the defense overcommits, and a lot of times, you know, aggressive defenses are just going to kind of leave Azili on the back line. Uh, they've been able to kind of connect on a lot of those alley-oop plays. We haven't seen it a ton, uh, but with Draymond back now, maybe that would be one reason why Kerr would think, oh, uh, we could try to plug Festus in because not only does he give you some rim protection, some length down low, and some rebounding, uh, but he's also an offensive weapon, a limited one, but he can be an offensive weapon in his own way, too. I, I agree. And he's certainly more mobile uh, than Bogut as well, so we should see what happens there. I got some stats to throw, at you, uh, throw out there at you. Are you ready? Bring it. All right. I'm looking at the five-man lineup for the Warriors, and here's something that's very startling to me. Um, the starters, uh, we have Barnes, Bogut, Curry, Iguodala. Oh, I'm sorry. The, the, the five-man lineup of Barnes, Bogut, Curry, Iguodala, and Thompson. That is not the one I'm looking for. Sorry. Barnes, Bogut, Curry, Green, and Thompson, the, the starters. Do you know what their net rating is for the, over the four games? I don't. Negative 19.7. Yeah. That's well, f- startling to me. Yeah. No, and it's probably influenced a lot by that game three game because, remember, they got just blown off the court like 30-10 in the first six minutes, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and also, I mean – by far their best look has been the small lineup. I think everybody kind of agrees with that. And one of the tricky things with Kerr is he's so patient in playing his best cards. Like, he saves his aces until the very, very end. Uh, and I think he realizes that, you know, the small ball lineup with Draymond as the center, that's his best look. And I wonder if he's going to finally play that card uh, to start game six. You know, he, he started the smaller lineup, or he started Iguodala, rather, uh, in game seven against the Thunder. Um mm-hmm. And I wonder if he's going to kind of just decide, look, we're going to bring this home with our best five. Personally, I would be very, very tempted to do that. I mean, how do you feel? Do you feel like they should start small? Well, I'm, I'm looking right here. Their, their second most played lineup of the four games, because obviously Draymond wasn't in for game five, was the small ball lineup of death. And that is a plus 14.1. So clearly uh, that is something there. And, yeah, I would probably end up starting um, uh, Iguodala just because, um, you know, him on LeBron has been a real uh, value to them. And it got screwy in Game 5. Without Draymond in there, suddenly Iguodala wasn't guarding LeBron as much. I probably should go and chart it, but it just seemed like it felt that way to me uh, my eye, with my eyeballs. And uh, that was really a recipe for disaster for the, for the Warriors. For sure. LeBron was doing a great job of trying to get switches and then just attacking whoever was not equipped to defend him. Uh, so... Yeah, and here's the other thing, too. Like, if I'm the Warriors, what I'm really worried about is that Game 3 early momentum where, like, LeBron and Kyrie are both coming off these huge Game 5s. The home crowd 
in Cleveland is going to be great. It's always great. But it's going to be super fired up because they didn't even necessarily expect to have a game six, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they can also realize that if the Cavs win tomorrow night, all of the pressure goes to Golden State immediately. I mean, everyone's going to say, is Golden State going to choke this finals away before game seven? I mean, we're going to be in for three days of that, right? So I think a lot of times we focus more with the Warriors on who closes their games because it's usually that, that, that small lineup of death. But I wonder if the start for game six is going to be even more important than usual just because of these other factors, the momentum factor, the crowd factor, and also just the memories of game three where, like, if J.R. Smith gets going early, uh, you know, and Cleveland starts to really get rolling, you don't want to be behind the eight ball trying to play catch up on the road. Always a good idea not to fall behind too early on the road in the hostile environment. Um, I I will say, though, that if, if it's a close game, uh, in that fourth quarter at all, then, you know, it's probably going to be the Warriors game. Like, it, it seems to be the pattern. The only way you beat them is if you step, step on their neck and blow them out. Uh, I, I haven't – I don't think we've seen a game all year, maybe a one or two, where it's been like a five-point game in the, you know, midway through the fourth and the Warriors lose that one. Totally. I mean, they're number one in clutch net rating. I'm sure you know that all, all year long. Uh, and it's because of that go-to five-man group and – I think that's that would be another reason why I would really consider starting them. You know, Just bookend it. Have a really strong start with your best five. Try to close it out with your best five. Uh, and that, that would be my take. But we'll see what Kirk comes up with. You know, he's been hard, difficult to predict. Uh, you know, For game five, they, they kind of did a switcheroo where like on the monitors in the arena that they said that McAdoo was going to start. And then five minutes later, they announced that Iguodala was going to start. So that, they're playing some lineup games here, and Kerr doesn't want to ever reveal uh, his decisions. So... Uh, I think he's getting into that Popovich mode where it's uh, a lot of mind games, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I got some more stats for you. I, I'm doing a, a, a um, shameless plug alert. I'm doing a video right now that I'm going to release hopefully tonight uh, about Steph Curry. And I've been looking at what the result of the possession was in the half court when he dribbles the ball over half court to start the offense versus when he's off the ball to begin with. It's very interesting stuff, and so everyone's going to want to watch it. But I decided, you know what, let's look at his on-off numbers just to kind of go from there. And I know we talked about their starters are already, you know, because of that Game 3 blowout, a little bit skewed. But I was a little bit startled when I was looking at his on-off on the uh, advanced metrics. turns out he's, uh, the team is 1.0 plus 1 uh, net rating when he's on the court, but plus 8.8 when he's off. And I, I, I guess, is that also skewed by how well the bench played early in the series? Yeah, that's a tough question. I guess the, their big blowout early was probably driving some of that. Um, and then also some, sometimes in garbage time, in, in the small sample sizes, like garbage time can kind of skew it too because I know they had a couple of games where they were really up big. Uh, I, I don't think Curry has played that well in this series. You know, I, I think obviously the 38-point performance was sort of his signature moment so far in Game 4. Uh, but I thought he really got outplayed by Kyrie in Game 5, which is – unexpected especially at home for him and he's just kind of been shaky and the foul trouble stuff early in the series is pretty frustrating uh i understand you know the health concerns are probably kind of looming over all this uh but i would like to see a better steph curry in game six no question about it i mean i I think he still needs to put his stamp on the series i think he's actually still in position kind of ironically like if he has a great game six he could still win finals mvp so he can kind of go from zero to hero here a little bit Uh, but some of his shot selection hasn't been the greatest. I like him off the ball a little bit more. You know, that's another advantage of having Iguodala in there. Iguodala has done some great playmaking in this series. If you can have both Steph and Clay off the ball, where you're having those guys run through screens, really making Cleveland's defense work, and then maybe trying to get some some more catch and shoot opportunities for those guys, I like that better than 
you know, Steph just kind of dribbling up and, and walking into like a, a 25 or 28 footer. Uh, so, you know, we'll see how it plays out. But it's really hard to know what's going on with him uh, because he doesn't want to answer the questions about his health. He showed up the other day with the shoulder wrap, like kind of making fun of a report that he needed a shoulder surgery. Uh, he's trying to have fun with all of these things, but at the same time, he's not really playing his A game. So it's sort of like, which is it, Steph? Are you so healthy that you can laugh about it? Or are you not healthy because you, you don't you're not playing like you look healthy? So I don't know. It's uh, kind of up in the air. That's interesting. Uh, was the shoulder issue after Game Five or before Game Five? So it was before Game Five, and I don't even think he necessarily has a shoulder issue. There was just a report out there that he was going to need shoulder surgery potentially, like he was just playing banged up, uh, and it wasn't one that got a lot of traction. Uh, like it, it wasn't an ESPN type reporter. You know, people kind of just they, they saw it and they let it go. And he shows up with this wrap on his shoulder, kind of almost making fun of the report, I think, uh, was the way that wow. we were supposed to take it. Uh, so I don't think it's a real issue. But what, what confuses me is, okay, so you're having enough fun with that report and you're kind of goofing off about it. Well, why aren't you shooting better? Why aren't you playing better? You know, Why aren't you taking control of the game like the unanimous MVP should? Why are you getting so badly outplayed by Kyrie Irving? And those are kind of open questions. Right. I, I, I agree. I mean, the reason why I asked was that, you know, that J.R. Smith foul, that was, I don't think, you know, they call it a regular foul, but he, he just took Steph out. I just ran right into him, rolled him, mowed him down. And I was wondering what that was about. I mean, we know J.R. is just J.R., and he's done that before. So I started thinking, well, you know, what, they, they think he's got an injured shoulder. They're going to hit him hard there to see how he reacts. I don't know. Yeah, I do think they were kind of testing him. Like I said, there was a lot of bad blood coming into that game, and this is not a media creation. Uh, I think sometimes people think, oh, you know, the trash talking, that's just the media taking stuff out of context. No way. I mean, watch the video of LeBron, uh, his laughter when they told him about what Clay Thompson had said. Watch the video of LeBron after the game when he's talking about how whatever Maurice Spates says doesn't matter. Uh, you know, there's, there's some legitimate tension and animosity between these two teams and as there should be i mean the warriors got him last year lebron's desperate to get a title uh, he understands the clock's ticking on his career he wants to win one so badly not only for his own legacy and uh to answer all those kinds of questions but also for cleveland you know the, to end their title drought and the stakes here are huge and so you would expect that uh you know little comments here and there would really uh you know get to guys and i don't think that makes them sensitive i think that just makes them very very competitive yeah, I mean, I, I also think it paints LeBron in a very specific part of his career where he, you know, let's face it, he instigated a little bit to, you know, to, I, I, don't, I mean, I don't know if in that moment in his mind he thought, okay, this is a chance to get Draymond another flagrant foul or something, but um, it, it was a little striking to me because we haven't really ever seen LeBron play that kind of role where he's going to try and get some, you know, usually that's the guy you send in off the bench to foul some guys really hard and see if they can get someone going. Uh, I think it's indicative of, you know, probably where he is in his career. Totally. He pulled out every single last stop, didn't he? I mean, he had the step <laughs> over. Uh, he had the jawing. He had the post-game lecture about, you know, not using profanity because he's a father. He had the, uh, you know, asking, <laughs> he had the asking for the calls. He had Tyron Lue get the, uh, the, the fine asking for calls. I mean, they played every angle in the book they possibly could. Uh, and that's what you do when your season's on the line. I, I don't think you have to be you know, quote-unquote, too proud to stoop to some of these things. I mean, that's part of the game. It's gamesmanship. Uh, and ultimately, he backed it up. I mean, his game five was exceptional all-around basketball game, completely controlled the action, uh, you know, put up numbers across the board, you know, in terms of steals, blocks, points, rebounds, assists that we haven't seen in decades. 
So, you know, I tend to give him a pass for all the, all the stuff that people want to kind of say, oh, he's a whiner, he's a baby. It's like, well, that baby at 41, you know, that baby right. at 16 rebounds, like, uh, that's a pretty good baby. Yeah, I'm actually glad that they won because, you know, let's face it, there was a stretch there in the fourth quarter where, uh, you know, Kyrie hits these ridiculous shots, a ridiculous shot, and the Warriors miss you know, all these open shots that probably would have made the game, you know, maybe, maybe it turned out differently. And, uh, you know, I, I don't even know what would have happened to LeBron had he had a 40-point game uh, and they still got beat for the championship. You know, I just think that would uh, – I hate to see legacies go like that on a trifle because, remember, you know, they, people judge, you know, everybody on their last game they ever played as opposed to their body of work a lot of the time. And uh, I don't know if it would have been fair, but it certainly would have sp- spoken pretty loudly. Oh, totally. And he would have been in, he would have gotten it both ways, actually, because they would have said, well, the last game you played is a loss, so you just lost two straight finals to the Warriors. And then he would also get the uh, body of work argument, which is, oh, now you're 2 and 5. And you know, that's still going to be coming uh, if they do lose this series. Uh, you know, LeBron always gets it. And, and the thing that I've noticed about him these last couple of years is he seems at peace with that part of it. Uh, he made a comment actually before Game Five, something to the effect that like sort of you know win or lose, uh, he was comfortable with how they had played, how they'd conducted themselves, and and he was sort of you know willing to almost accept his fate either way. Huh. Uh, and you wonder like, does 24 year old LeBron have that same thought? You know, he's really been through a, a heck of a lot of battles uh, as he's kind of matured through his prime. Uh, he's had some amazing victories, amazing comeback victory against the Spurs. And he's had some really you know, tough defeats, too. So uh, I'm not sure he's seeing anything new here uh, in this finals that he hasn't seen before. Uh, but I do agree with what we were saying earlier. Is like he's pulling out every single stop. And you know, I respect him for that. I, well, I guess the real test of that is if, if they lose, let's just say they lose tomorrow, they lose against seven, either way. Um, I guess the test is going to be, does he stay in Cleveland, right? Yeah, he's staying. I think he's staying. Uh, the the guy who I think has the most likelihood of leaving is Kevin Love, don't you? Uh, well, I would have said Kyrie after Game Four. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but then Game Five saves his job. Yeah, well, I mean, I broke down. I did a, a video where I compared the similar action of the Warriors and the Cavaliers, and unfortunately, with the, you know, the ones I found with the Warriors, you know, the, the the equivalent for the Cavs, they missed a lot of those. You know, I, what can I do? They just missed those those possessions. But when you watch the process of of Kyrie in that Game Four, uh, I mean, he just doesn't play in a team framework like he misses easy passes that would be nice easy shots for his teammates uh and then he takes some bad shots and so it just wasn't really like fitting however you know you yeah you can easily see lebron or whoever saying you know i I have to imagine lebron has a big you know say in all this uh he's like yo he he came up he showed up big in game five and you know he can stay like that that kind of make makes me feel like that's what's going to happen yeah I mean, Kyrie is heading down that sort of my way or the highway track that, you know, Kobe and Russell Westbrook have sort of perfected. It doesn't surprise me at all that it sounds like you're a little frustrated with the style of his play. Uh, That doesn't surprise me at all because I could just see him being the kind of guy who would aggravate you. Uh, (laughs) I I do. I mean, ultimately, like he's not a perfect player. Uh, He's not even a perfect complement to LeBron. But I think he's basically the best thing they've got going. I mean, I was really feeling during that game five. Like, who does Ty Lue even trust out here? Like, Delavadova couldn't even stay on the court. He was terrible. Shumpert's been horrible the whole series. J.R. Smith was kind of having his disappearing act. Kevin Love looked completely lost in space. 
I mean, just go right down the list of their entire roster. Like, they have a pretty deep roster. Their roster was getting contributions from lots of guys during the Eastern Conference Finals and earlier in the playoffs. And as that game unfolded, it was like, well, this is really a two-player team, and they're both happening to step up at this point. Uh, maybe that will change once they get back home in Game 6, so they'll have a little bit more support. But I think when LeBron's like looking around on that roster, he's thinking, you know, Kyrie is the best thing he's got going. Oh, and you know what? It's funny. I'm not frustrated with Kyrie like I am with Russell Westbrook, without question. He, and the reason being is that, first, he shoots really well from three-point range. You know, he, takes, he takes a lot, and he shoots really well from there. I think he's probably the best finisher from his position at the rim. Uh, you know, I know the numbers weren't great this year, but I don't know. The, his body of work when he goes to the basket is is certainly a lot better than than Russ is, is percentage-wise. So, uh, you know, he's a shooting guard. Like that's how I look at him, and so I don't I don't even hold him up as a guy who should be getting more assists than than not. But uh, you know, so I, I'm not frustrated by him as much in, in a weird way, only because. You know, I think they're finally figuring out that, that that's what he is. Let LeBron be the facilitator, point guard-ish kind of guy. And, um, and then let Kyrie be, you know, the, like the Michael Jordan role almost. Yeah, for sure. And also, I mean, the older LeBron gets, the more room there's going to be for Kyrie to, to do his own thing too, mm-hmm. right? So I, I think that pairing works. And that's why, you know, if I'm the Cavaliers, I'm looking at this offseason. Let's just assume they lose this finals. Uh, that's why I think Kevin Love's got to be on the block because Kyrie and LeBron, to me, that works. A lot of their role players, they're fitting in roles, uh, and they're going to be difficult to sort of find somebody who's better than, than they are. Uh, the one guy who I think just doesn't really work for Cleveland, especially against this Golden State matchup, it's Kevin Love. I think he could be way more valuable to another team as like a number one or a number two guy than he is for Cleveland as the number three guy against Golden State. And I think if you're the Cavaliers, you have to plan your whole summer around a potential rematch with the Warriors, uh, you know, third time around in next year's finals. And so from that standpoint, I'd be trying to trade Kevin Love for perimeter defenders or maybe a better interior defensive player just so that you match up better with, uh, you know, with what could be the two-time defending champs. Uh, it's just hard to watch a guy who's making as much money as he's making, who's had the kind of profile he's had. I mean, this is a guy who's been in the MVP conversation you know, back in his Minnesota days, uh, just really not contribute anything uh, in a big-time Game 5. I mean, think about if they had lost that Game 5. And Kevin Love would be the biggest scapegoat, uh, you know. Like, what if what if LeBron scores forty one, Kyrie scores forty one, LeBron, or, uh, sorry, Kevin Love barely scores, and they lose that game five? I mean, he'd be the scapegoat for the next five months. Right, and I'd be sitting there doing videos explaining why it wasn't his fault. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I think that he could get back to being himself uh, in another situation. Did you happen to see that Vine that I re- I retweeted yesterday, with, or maybe you saw it with him? He wasn't asking for a high five from, from LeBron, but he was. Sh- I think he was showing. I was in a good position. My hand was up. Did you see that? I did see that, yeah. And, uh, I mean, th- there was nothing more disheartening than that because <laughs> what, what I took from that, and I missed it in real time, but I think what I was saying was I think, I think Love was like, look, I, I was, he was kind of happy. He's like, look, I got my hand up. I contested, and, you know, he made it anyway. And instead of saying, hey, you know, really good effort, whatever, LeBron starts going into what LeBron's going into, criticizing whatever, you could just see – on his face, you know, I compared it to when you're when you when you uh, when when you're a young kid and you hear that your dad went around the corner for a pack of cigarettes and he is never coming back. <laughs> yeah, no, it, that was a cringeworthy vine, and it's been a season full of them. I mean, they they put it together a little bit down the stretch. It's not like the trio is a failure by any stretch, and and people want to like redo the Wiggins love trade, and I understand that. But look, bottom line, they made two finals. If the Warriors weren't this ridiculous machine. 
they probably would have come away with at least a title. And that was the whole point when LeBron went, uh, went back uh, after the Miami era, right? So I don't think, you know, I kind of agree with you. Like, Love's probably going to get too much crap more than he deserves. Uh, but he can do a lot more than he's been doing in this finals. And that's why I think if you're Cleveland, it's one of those situations where it almost makes sense for both parties to try to, to seek something out. You know, Love can find a better spot, maybe somewhere he's more appreciated, maybe somewhere he's a more central uh, player. And Cleveland can try to find maybe a package of guys who have better skills to kind of help them match up with Golden State. I hear you. Now, let me ask you this to close. Would the Cavaliers have been in a better position to win this series if David Blatt was still coaching them? I don't think so. I think Ty Lue's done a fine job. Uh, and the, I mean, he made the big decision with the Jefferson start. Uh, that paid off. Uh, and I think ultimately we know the kind of importance and influence that LeBron has over everything. As long as LeBron's happy and motivated, that's your number one job if you're his team's coach. I don't think he was there with Blatt. To me, I was surprised that Blatt lasted really as long as he did, especially after the way LeBron kind of showed him up in last year's playoffs during that press conference against the Bulls. Uh, I was pretty sure that Blatt was going to go last summer, frankly, after watching that in person because uh, it was just such a weird, unusual way for a player to act towards his own coach, especially after a win. Uh, so to me, that, that was just business that needed to be done. Uh, LeBron's responded very well in this postseason uh, and in the finals too. Uh, and so I think you just kind of go forward with that and, and you just kind of chalk it up to that was a failed relationship that just never materialized. And uh, if you read what Blatt has said afterwards, it's always along the lines of like, well, in the NBA, you need to really forge a strong bond with your, with your best player. And, you know, everybody else in the NBA circles are like, well, yeah, dude, of course you have to do that. That's obvious. But I think coming from overseas, where it's just a different relationship between coach and players, that was probably something that he took for granted and maybe he shouldn't have. Well, we're going to have to wait for that tell-all book to come out at some point and, uh, and study it uh, very closely. So uh, I can't wait for that. And, Ben, I can't thank you enough for coming on and giving us some real insight from, the, uh, from ground zero in the finals. And, uh, you know, I guess you're going to – who are you picking tomorrow? Uh, well, my original pick for this series was Warriors and Six, so I'm going to stick to that. But this has been a series that's been very tough to, to read because of the road wins. Uh, but I think Draymond coming back, I think he's going to be able to keep his, uh, his uh, emotions in check well enough. I think Steph can still play a little bit better. And I also kind of wonder about Cleveland's supporting cast. I mean, are they, have these guys been figured out? Are they going to be able to step up? Uh, but we'll see. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's been a very tricky uh, series with some you know, twists and turns that I didn't really expect. Absolutely. Well, I'll, we'll all be watching. Well, I'll be up on Twitter uh, putting out my binds for you. So uh, we'll see what happens. And if you were correct, I agree with you on that prediction as well. So thanks for coming on the show, Ben, and we'll talk to you as soon as we can. Thanks for having me, Coach. Take care, man. You got it. And don't forget, sports fans, a b-ball breakdown. We're not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Ben? Always. Always in. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar! 
GEICO makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on GEICO.com or the GEICO mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything! This holiday season, AT&T is giving away $25,000 just for telling them what great LG products you want this year. Stop by a participating AT&T store and snap a selfie holding up the LG products you want to get, like the LG V20 with 5.7-inch HD display and direct TV app to watch live TV. Then share your selfie on Twitter or Instagram with hashtag Here's What I Want Sweeps or upload it to Here's What I Want Sweeps.com for a chance to win 25 grand. No purchase necessary. Click the banner for rules and a list of participants. Stores. 